Hey, I'm Steve Folland. Welcome to another one. This episode of Being Freelance is supported by FreeAgent, the online accounting software that puts you in control of your freelancer finances. To claim your one-month free trial, visit freeagent.com slash beingfreelance. But right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance for content producer Nick Saalfeld. We are totally different. We're not entrepreneurs. We're operationalists. We're brilliant operationalists. We want customers to be really happy and go away having had the absolute ultimate that we can bring to the party. If you're a designer, you create great stuff. If you're a musician, you create great stuff. That's what motivates us. I just find it extraordinary, having done entrepreneurial things and messed them up, it's been a revelation to me that we are called entrepreneurs when we're not. We're something completely different. We're a different breed. So many of us are going to be selling our skills on a piecemeal, half-day, day-rate, whatever basis to a large number of clients, customers of all sizes. It's a really interesting time. And yeah, I think we're sort of starting to come out of the shadows. Yes, so there is Nick being added to the plethora of guests at beingfreelance.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoy this, please do give us a rate and review wherever you get your podcast and remember to share it with other people. That would be a huge favor. But also, you can get to beingfreelance.com. Whatever they do for a living, it is worth checking out their story because it's all about the being freelance. Over 170 guests at beingfreelance.com. There's also the videos that I do of my own experience being freelance, the articles as well, and the community to be a part of. And... If that wasn't enough, and I will give this a mention because it was pointed out to me just last week by um, Rose in Australia that I never mention that you can get the Being Freelance mug at the website. You can. If you've ever seen me on Instagram or in the videos drinking from that beautiful ceramic vessel, you can get one for yourself. Treat your desk to it at beingfreelance.com. Now... Now shipping internationally. Yeah, it is, because quite a few of you said, why, why are you not selling it outside the UK? It was just because it was quite a faff to figure it out in the first place. I've got absolute respect for anybody who runs any kind of shop. <laughs> so yes, if, uh, if you fancy getting a mug, anyway, check them out at beingfreelance.com. But that is enough peddling for now. Let's crack on instead and chat to this week's guest. That is freelance content producer, Nick Saalfeld. Hey, Nick. Hello, hello. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks so much for doing this. How about as ever we get started hearing how you got started being freelance? Oh, gosh, it's going back so far. So look, for any young people, it's 18 years ago now, right? I'm a bit old and grey hairy, but like a lot of people, well, do you know what? I've never had a plan and that's probably a good thing. No, it's not. It's a terrible thing. Always have a plan. I'm one of those people who never had a plan and uh, I've only been employed for two years of my life. And those two years ended with being made redundant. And I got a small settlement. I thought, I can live for about four or five months like this. And I thought, what do you want to do? And I thought, you know what? You haven't got a plan because you're an idiot and I'm not a planner. And, and I thought, well, you know what? I could go freelance. I could just chill out a bit and do fun things. And that was 18 years ago. And I've never had a job since. What was your job when you were employed? Well, I was a content producer, so that's fair enough. At least I was in the same game. It wasn't as though I was sort of, um, you know, a car mechanic and thought, 
turn me hand to writing, couldn't I? You know, I've always been in, in the production game. Bizarrely, my first career long before the internet came along was in radio. So even that was sort of producing content of a sort. And then the internet came along and I, I ran internet companies and all that sort of thing. That whole thing of content production has always been in my soul and in my heart. So I'm definitely doing something that's right for me. But yeah, what's astonishing is I did it completely without any sort of plan and have somehow managed to muddle through incompetently ever since. And when you say content producer, what sort of stuff do you produce? It's interesting that that's sort of changed. I mean, by training, I'm a writer. By training, I'm a broadcaster and writer and, and, and all that sort of thing. But the world has changed around us. I think that's a really interesting thing to to think about across a career is, you know, whatever you do doesn't stay the same. So I speak to journalists today who who, who basically have a couple of strings to their bow. Maybe they do a bit, you know, maybe they write the odd article. Maybe they do some copywriting. Across the sort of 20 years that I've been producing stuff, 18 or so freelance, now I have to, you know, I write video scripts as well. I do marketing materials i do bits of you know with prs i do stuff within agencies sort of i do content strategy occasionally i do social media I haven't got a clue about <laughs> social media because i'm old right i'm old i don't know what it's about for god's sakes why would anyone never had a job off twitter in my life you have to kind of embrace change as it comes along and look at all these new kind of bits of media and I, you know even in video and I, i'm lucky enough to have sort of over the years i've picked up people that i like working with so if people come to me for a script i can go well you know what i know somebody who can shoot this for you as well but now there are platforms where you can create really quick and dirty videos of a particular form and as a writer i go oh I, I know how to write for that sort of medium or that sort of platform as well just as if you're a designer design has changed from pen and paper or whatever to digital tools and then within those digital tools you understand what people want to do online and how to communicate online and suddenly your logo has to be something that works that works across different media and different presentation techniques so you know it's changing all the time I've spent a lot of time saying you know I will write anything for anyone and I probably will I specialize in certain sectors now I specialize in business to business I specialize in technology finance healthcare professional services stuff like that I've certainly found my niche but you do have to constantly evolve it otherwise you get left behind hmm so how did you find your first freelance clients i approached this conversation today by thinking to myself gosh you've got to give the listeners something that they can take home and this is the one question where i thought i have nothing to offer you here's the deal the things i remember when i first started out number one my first check came in five months after I went freelance. That feels still feels to me today about the right sort of time frame to be looking at. If you're lucky, if you come out of a company, out of corporate life, and that company becomes your first freelance client, flipping fantastic, well done. That's a lovely way to do it, and maybe it's sort of two or three months. But if you're starting from scratch, and I really did, expect it to take five to six months. And what I did, I did, well, I did a few things. Firstly, I tapped up actual existing contacts like this. I went, hello, I've just gone freelance. You got anything you can give me? Which didn't work particularly well, even though I'm quite good at what I do. But the magic thing is... it. Just go out and network every night. I mean, firstly, when you when you start freelancing, you're going to be working from home unless you're quite lucky, which is horrible. I know I, I know plenty of people who really like working from home, but I'm sorry, I hate it every minute. It took me about a week and a half to go. I'm sitting in my pants at three in the afternoon. For God's sakes, what? What's happened to you? Went completely stir crazy. Couldn't cope at all. And by pure chance, I mean, 
we live in a great world now. Go on to Meetup, right? That's where I'd start. Go on to Meetup. You will be amazed at the number of great events going on every day in your area. Even if you live in the Orkneys, there's going to be something happening. So I got on to Meetup and a couple of other networking sites in those days and literally went out every night meeting people. I mean, every night meeting people. And that's where it comes from. And there is a golden rule to that kind of networking thing, which is pay it forward. Do not expect results straight away. Go out there, meet people. Because Don't look for results. Don't look for answers. Just help people. Be someone who is communicative. Make recommendations. Oh, you need an accountant, right? I'll tell you what, you need to speak to Bob. He's. I'll introduce you. I'll pop you an email. Make those connections. And eventually, you become a person that people, you know, who is part of that larger, broader community. And eventually, that will lead to clients. It takes a load of time. It takes a load of effort. Three to six months or so. But eventually, it starts yielding results. And some of those three months will be spent going, Cool. Am I any good at what I do at all? But you doubt yourself. You're sitting at home. You're like, oh my goodness. You know, go to the networking events, hang out at co-working spaces, any of that sort of stuff, just to keep yourself balanced while you while you make a start. And then obviously, you know, bits and bobs on LinkedIn as well. But that's the biggest strategy. I, I have to say, in the past five years, everything has been by recommendation, and I'm really lucky in that respect. But it's getting a ball rolling. Those recommendations only come because you've already done client work that makes people go, "Oh, you need to speak to him." So, getting the ball rolling is hard. Don't do freebies. Don't sacrifice your values. Don't do things that you know you're crap at because it's come through your door. Stick to the things you're really good at because that's where your reputation will come from. It's about being strong in those early years. And you trade as a company name now, right? Yeah. What's your company? Uh, It's called Wells Park Communications, and there's a great story behind that as well. Did you start as Wells Park? I did. I did. So basically, I thought, you know what? I know I want to be a company. It's worth it because that gives me a certain amount of credibility. In fact, I was VAT registered pretty early on. But genuinely, again, it's it's all about the theatre of it. The truth is there is no Mr. Wells. There is no Mr. Park. It really is a park. And again, I was sitting in my pants. That's the second mention of pants in the first 10 minutes of this podcast. I was sitting in my pants, looking out of the window. It's the park opposite you know, where I live. And that was it. Again, frankly, I probably should have invested in some sort of branding consultancy, but um, it's done me fine. And frankly, yeah, people rapidly realize that it is just me and, you know, any mates I choose to bring in or great contacts I choose to bring in for a job. But yeah, I went limited company very, very early on because of the theater of it. It gives you a better class of clients at the end of the day. There's another discussion about whether you want to go VAT registered. I think there's a right time and a wrong time to do that. For me, it was as soon as possible because it's about the expectations of the clients that you want and their expectations in the people they want to deal with. Hmm. So you felt it allowed you to go for particular types of client and project? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And my ambition was always to, um, like any freelance, the ambition has to be to kind of, but there's a lot of things going on. You, you want to up your day rate and earn more and the higher end stuff really only comes with a certain amount of kudos. You want a better quality of client. You want, frankly, you want The biggie is you want to get yourself clients who aren't focused exclusively on money. Look, if you're chasing 50 quid gigs and 100 quid gigs, you're not doing yourself any favors because, frankly, it takes longer to service those types of gig than the money itself is worth, right? You want a decent, acceptable day rate with clients who are not worried about the amount they're paying per hour, per minute, per day, but who are interested in the value that you provide to them, where if you continue to provide that value, you're not a burden to them. You're worth every penny. And that is all about upping your rates and finding the right sort of client. And to do that, the minute you start doing that, you need to have that kind of 
the credibility and the VAT registration, the formal company and all that sort of stuff. Hmm. By the way, on that front, this is really important. A lot of people I spoke to, I was speaking to somebody literally the day before yesterday uh, who said, you know what, I think Brexit is killing my freelance career. I said, no, Brexit is spectacular. We're in a very strange time at the moment, but it is really good for freelancers. Right now, as companies are scared of, of the future and what it may hold, they're stopping working with agencies because the massive overheads they have to pay for with agencies. And they are working with more and more freelancers who have lower overheads, who can provide a service, who will be responsive. So now is a great time to invest in, in that freelance career and to invest in understanding what your offer is to potential clients. I think it's a, now is a great time to increase the quality of client that you look at. Hmm. But do you not come across as an agency? Sometimes. Again, you remember I said earlier, it's about the theatre of it. It's a really challenging one. So my website has sort of, you know, has some great prestige clients on it. It kind of feels a bit like an agency. That's only to open doors. The minute I'm in front of somebody, I say, look, this is what I do. I am basically, what I actually say is I am nudging the top of what it being a freelancer is. I can bring resources to a project. I can bring more people to it. But fundamentally, it is me and I am that business. I don't want to pull the wool over anyone's eyes, but I do want them to realize that I am at the top end of what I do and that they're going to have great results. How do you find sort of, I guess, managing the other people that you might end up working with on a project? Such an interesting question. This is just such a cool thing. Truly bearing my soul, I spent the first decade or so of my life, uh, of my professional freelance career, thinking that I was an entrepreneur. And this kills me. It's something that every freelancer should think about. We are not entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs get all the good press, right? They're the people who build and scale big companies. To be brutally honest with you, the reason I now know that I'm a freelancer and the reason I've been successful in the past five years and not remotely in the first sort of 10 plus years, I thought I was entrepreneurial and I'm not. I am a crap manager. I am a crap scaler, right? Right, Truly atrocious, absolutely terrible, mainly because, and any true freelancer will recognize this, we do what we do. We do a kind of operational thing, whatever that thing is, right? I create content. There are people who, you know, chartered surveyors, whatever, right? But you do that thing and you do it really well and you do it to the best of your ability. And we get customers because we want people to be really, really happy and we want things to be perfect. That's actually not what entrepreneurs do. Entrepreneurs want to make money and they want to make more money and they want to scale stuff up. And the way you are an excellent entrepreneur involves a certain amount of compromise, right? Really brilliant businesses aren't perfect. What they are is sort of all right enough to get by and make the optimum amount of money, right? We are totally different. We're not entrepreneurs. We're operationalists. We're brilliant operationalists. We want customers to be really happy and go away having had the absolute ultimate that we can bring to the party. So turns out I'm a terrible, terrible entrepreneur. I'm a brilliant freelancer and I'm a, I should never be scaling a company. It's one reason why I don't want to run an agency. What I want to do is do great jobs. So that's a very long-winded way of saying, actually, I find the management side really, really hard. And it's why I've never converted what I do into an agency. I just bring people in for you know, project-oriented stuff and right down to the fact that actually half the time I say, you know what, if this particular project, if I couldn't either do it myself if it came to the crunch, or find other resources to bring in, I would rather turn down a project than get other folks in, just in case it all went horribly wrong. So it's a really different world I live in. I firmly believe we're not entrepreneurs. Freelancers are a class of value creator, 
that don't get the credit they deserve. They don't get the press they deserve. And if I could spend every day of my life shouting about that freelancers are not entrepreneurs, we are this unique class of great contributors to the economy, all doing our sort of professional thing in a really good way, but with a different set of skills, I'd love to spend my life shouting about that. <laughs> As you walk through the park. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> how about how you manage your workload? Do you have a lot of stuff on at once? Yes, I do. So in any one, let's have a look because I've, I've got an Excel spreadsheet open right next to me because I'm old school like that. Again, I spent probably a decade going, yeah, look, I'm a creative, right? I don't do planning. I'm a creative for God's sakes. We don't plan stuff out. Look, clients come through, you do stuff for them, you send it back to them and everyone's happy. Oh, how wrong I was. Again, in the past few years, I cannot tell you how much a bit of planning has changed my business. I generally operate between between 6 and 12 clients a month. I have between 6 and 12 clients on the go at any one time. You know, some of them are long term, some of them are short term, some of them are agencies, some of them are direct to me. You know, it's a, it's a really mixed bag and and I have specific targets for what sorts of clients I want to have because if too much of your income is coming from one client, that's a dangerous place to be because eventually they'll they'll go somewhere else or circumstances change and you lose them and then you've lost too much of your income. So I have a really simple planner, which what I wrote myself, I can see right in front of me how many clients I've got each month, how many days I'm booked for a month. I have a little flag that comes up if any one client represents too much of my income for that month, because that should be a little bit of a red flag. I know how much I'm earning. I know how much is profit. I know my average day rate. And then progressively, I also know how much of my work this month I have done compared to where I should be. Um, so for example, last month, I did about 98% of the work that I should have done. You know, I was a couple of hours short or whatever. Now, that sounds like a lot of measurement. You know what? It takes 10 minutes do it, do it. If you do not know for the rest of this month, how many days you should be working, what you're getting for that day, who you're working for, what proportion of that, of your income that represents and how far you are on schedule, then you're probably missing out. I would say that basic planning has probably increased my income by about 20 to 25%. And I've been doing it for sort of four or five years. I was the first person to say, nah, planning, yeah, we don't need to plan. We're not running a big business. It's only me. I know what I do each month and each week. When you say what you should be, the number of hours you should be, or how are you gauging that? Like, what is your benchmark? Is it based on a certain figure that you want to earn a month? Um, sort of. So I actually, well, put it this way. I'll tell you what. I'm not going to give you the number, but it's a good number. Put it this way. I set a target, so for last year, for last year, 2018, I set a target in February and I hit that target on the 23rd of December. So when you set targets across a year, you can hit them and make it, right? That's an extraordinary thing to be able to say because it turns out, and again, I, I'm only preaching because I've blooming managed to do it against all my own odds. It turns out planning is brilliant. Now, the point is I'm getting good at working out what a half day or a day is is worth and what I can achieve in that day or half day. And you know what? Sometimes it's a bit more. Sometimes it's a bit less. Sometimes I overestimate it and mess it up a bit. But then that's made up for by the fact that sometimes I underestimate it and I get away with a couple of hours making up time. I divide in my little spreadsheet. I have, I assume that there are somewhere between 20 and 22 days that I can work. Those are split into half days because I've reached a stage where I'm busy enough that I can offer people half days or full days according to what they want. And I fill them in with little colored blobs 
And those little colored blobs mean I can see exactly who I'm working for at any one time. And I can tell what's flexible, who can be moved around. Some, you know, sometimes I'm going to be on site with them. Sometimes I'm, I'm in the office and doing whatever. So it's a really visual representation by the half day of what a day looks like, then what a week looks like, then what a month looks like. And eventually you can start working out what a year looks like. If that sounds like an insane amount of planning, I promise I don't spend more than 10 minutes a day on it, but it's been so worthwhile. I have definitely increased my income by over 20% just by kind of having that vision thing going on. It's totally worth it. How does it help you increase your income? Don't know. It's it, it's magic. It's <laughs> blooming magic, Steve. It's magic. There's no logic to it, right? It's Well, no, there must be logic to it, right? So for, so for example... Are you looking at those little colour blobs or rather seeing a lack of colour blobs and then thinking, right, I need to hit up some of my contacts and see if they need anything doing at the moment? That's not a, not a bad part of it. I mean, it's knowing when you can commit to things. On an average month, I will start with maybe two unbooked days for that month. So I'm pretty heavily booked, but I can go, okay, we can squeeze this in or we can move that around. So that kind of optimizes really nicely. It means I can tell what my day rate is and therefore what I should be charging and what I should be charging to increase my day rate as well. It just helps you make intelligent decisions because it's never just about, am I booked up for X day or not X day? It's about being able to, like I said, I split my time, for example, between direct to client and agency stuff. Why do I like working with agencies? Because they give me access to clients that I, of a caliber that I would never be able to get by myself, right? So you know, a couple of years ago, I said, you know what, I'm going to just slightly up my agency stuff because I want those quality clients. I now have, thanks to a couple of agencies that I work with, I've been lucky enough to work with five billion dollar clients now that's stuff that i can bring up in meetings and say yeah look i've worked with these guys these guys these guys they're all worth over a billion dollars and you're getting me now being able to posture like that and being able to make those sorts of claims are things i wouldn't be able to do or wouldn't be able to do without just good luck were it not for the fact that i'm kind of looking at the numbers and going oh it would be strategically intelligent for me to think a particular way about the sorts of clients i pursue now the reason I can do that is because I've taken really careful steps, step by step by step by step. I promise I started like most people going flipping it. Won't somebody just give me some money, right? Give me a job. Give me some money. I will take anything. And that is where you start. That's totally where you start. But if you only that will always continue to be the case unless you migrate your approach into something else. And planning is a really good way of starting that migration. I still maintain that I'm the thickest person on the planet. I'm not a smart person. But where luck has come along, and it is always luck, I've managed to kind of capitalize on that. So it's having the insight and the knowledge to be able to capitalize on lucky things when they happen. So for example, I did some work through a friend of a friend, which is lovely, for a venture capital firm. That was four years ago. In the four years since, they have given me access to at least 10 of the companies that that venture capital firm has invested in. So I'm working for loads of their clients. All those clients, because they're a venture capital firm, all of them have just received investment. So they've got money and they want to expand fast and they're happy to spend to maintain quality. Well, what a great piece of business that's been. And that all came from a, you know, a little connection through a friend via Facebook. So it's having the insight and the understanding to move and consciously to go, I need to move from the tiny jobs, which everyone is out there trying to get. I mean, we've all seen, you know, Fiverr and what have you. If you want to play in that game, 
core. You're not going to make a penny, right? But you have to consciously work on moving up the value chain. It takes time. It's not easy. I've made plenty of missteps along the way. But going into it blind, that's not a good way to do it. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. This is kind of like planning. You call it planning, but it feels also more like analyzing and tracking. Yeah. 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 You mentioned having 22 days a month, for example. Does that mean, Vim, that you like to keep your, you know, you don't work at the weekend or your, like, how's your work-life balance? Oh, my work-life balance is atrocious. But you just told me you got your time. Yeah, you know what, you know what, listen, I'm also, like any freelance, I'm someone who bloody hates saying no. I want everybody to be happy and there are times I overcommit. There are times that stuff, you know, just happens. Listen, my work-life balance is flipping atrocious. I work far too hard. Don't get me wrong. I like to be dialed up to 11. But I have to say there are times when I've done the weekend thing as well. No question. I do work hard, play hard. But you know how everyone has been told, oh, yeah, the great thing about being freelance is you're your own boss. You want to go on holiday for a week whenever you fancy. You can do that. Oh, for God's sakes. I mean, you know, <laughs> I I go away for weekends when I can because it's like, oh, oh, a whole weekend to myself. Fantastic. No, I'm the idea that you're your own boss. No, you're not. You're a slave to yourself. That's all it is. I, I have no I have no advice to offer on work life balance at all because I don't have any. Listen, you, I'm glad this is a podcast. You have no idea how wrinkly I am. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yes. Find time for red wine. That's what I say. I'm intrigued, actually. I just want to pick up something you said quite early on. Because mm. you said that you were employed for two years and maybe done them, then went freelance. But you also mentioned the fact that before that, that you were working in radio and that you thought you were an entrepreneur running web companies or IT yeah, yeah, companies. I forget so. now. So was there a period where you... You started companies and did something before that, was there? Um, no, it's it's after. So so when I was made, yeah, made redundant, and that's fine. Yeah, the broadcasting was great. It was great fun. It was a great early career. Had had a time of my life. But yeah, the company I was made redundant from uh, was a major internet company in the early two thousands. Yeah, I was quite senior there. That was fabulous. But no, it's the ten years after, from sort of two thousand and one to twenty, yeah, eleven, twelve, when I was really entrepreneurial. I started more than one successful internet business, but I also lost a lot of money because. Of as I said, I, I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm not a manager. I'm not a builder. Gotcha. So actually, the content creation, your content producer, as, as you would call yourself that, you haven't been doing that for the past 18 years. I have because all those businesses involved content as well. But the point is, you know, and that's that's why I did them, because that's what attracted me to them. It's like, oh, I, you know, I can build a business. But no, I can't build a business doing those things or a, a scaled up big business because I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm not a manager. I'm not a scaler. I'm not a grower. What I am is a doer. I'm really good at doing. You know, since I moved exclusively to thinking with a freelance mindset rather than an entrepreneurial mindset, suddenly I'm not losing money or being scared or losing sleep or trying to manage people and finding that hard. I'm focusing absolutely on what you know what I actually do do, which is creating great stuff. And if you're a designer, you create great stuff. If you're a musician, you create great stuff. That's what motivates us. I just find it extraordinary, having done entrepreneurial things and messed them up, it's been a revelation to me that we are called entrepreneurs when we're not. We're something completely different. We're a different breed. And I'm, and don't get me wrong, I am just as proud of what a freelancer is. And there are more of us than ever. As the labor market becomes more liquid, as more people sell their services as individuals to more other people, 
I think we will suddenly start seeing freelancing becoming as re- both recognized as something unique and different as what it is. And I think it will also start to get the respect that it deserves. We're not a bunch of people, you know, who you drag in. We're rapidly becoming a massive chunk of the workforce, blue collar, white collar, managerial, all sorts. And I think so many of us are going to be selling our skills on a piecemeal half day, day rate, whatever basis to a large number of clients, customers of all sizes. It's a really interesting time. And yeah, I think we're sort of starting to come out of the shadows. Okay, now I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true and one a lie. Let me figure out the lie. What have you got for me, Nick? I gave you some pretty brutal ones, to be honest. Yeah, so I don't normally see them, so I'll be honest. I didn't even look at what you... Uh, Oh, right, right, right. You didn't read them. No, well, I saw what you were about to do, and I thought, well, I don't want to read them. I don't want these in my head for me to think about. So I've been pretty brutal. I've been very brutal here. I've given you three ludicrous facts. I think you can probably guess from the conversation we've had so far that I spend part of my time being highly professional and part of my time being ludicrous, and I've really dialed up the ludicrous for you. So... Here are your three facts. Number one, I was once detained by the police for, and I quote, uh, and I'm not going to swear here, right? I was detained by the police for making the police look like beep. It was making the police look like something bad, all right? I once did a radio show which held the record for the largest number of complaints to the radio authority. And finally, I once got paid an effective day rate of £288,000. What? Nobody said it was going to be easy. You got detained by the police for making them look like... for making the police look like... A bad, stupid word. A bad thing. Can you get detained by the police for making the police... I don't know. Why did your radio show get so many complaints? Or were those two facts related? (laughs) Was it all the police complaining? So, well, I mean, as I said earlier, you do know that I was a broadcaster and that's good. I wasn't expecting to be this honest, but basically I worked with a dear friend of mine, Johnny, who actually, and this is over 20 years ago, and I actually saw him only a couple of weeks ago most recently. So it goes to show these friendships do last. It was a community station. It was a, We were having the time of our lives. We were not particularly professional. We did an overnight show. We let anyone on the air because that's what you did then. And uh, there was a certain amount of swearing and rudeness, which we might have participated in. And astonishingly, we had we had a vast, vast number of complaints. It was then called the Radio Authority. That doesn't exist anymore, but they were the regulator for radio at the time. In a very sort of rambling way, what I'm saying is we were really rude. Oh, that's plausible. Okay. Yeah, you see. I once got paid an effective day rate of 288. £288,000 feels utterly impossible unless, I don't know, your Beyonce... I mean, I am Beyonce, obviously. Um, um, so no, no, but so effective day rate. Do you want the story and you can decide whether you believe yeah, it? Yeah, go on. on. Okay. So basically, I was pitching for a piece of work with a European Union outfit, one of the many. And they said, come on over, come to Brussels, have a meeting, and we'll pay you, uh, I think it was 600 quid for your day. I said, that's fine. You're paying me to come to a meeting? That's fabulous. Got there, got to the meeting. So flew out to Brussels, had a meeting. The meeting was 30 seconds. They said, look, I'm really sorry. We're totally not ready for you at all. <laughs> Can you tootle on home? 
so I got me 600 quid uh, for a 30 second meeting, uh, effective day rate, 288,000 pounds. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, this was a long time ago, but I tell you what, of all the times to talk about European waste, look, I'm not making a Brexit point here, kids, all right? <laughs> but yes, my effective day rate was vast. Okay, now I'm believing that fact. All right. Okay, now I know how you've calculated it and the fact that it involved the European Union. In that case, I don't think you were detained by the police. Mm, interesting. Okay. Is that your final answer? That's the lie. That's the lie. Okay. I was indeed once detained by the police for making the police look stupid. <sighs> and the story there is I was working on a film set in Mayfair. And look, we were shooting a robbery scene. In fairness, there were... £200,000 worth of film lights there. There were actors sitting around. All of that good stuff going on. I was doing sound at the time. And despite all the film equipment and all the rest of it, someone did call the police and the police turned up and they were armed. Film sound is a wonderful discipline. You get quite a lot of time off. You have a lot of fun. And I'd gone off to get some coffees and I came back with my coffees and suddenly there were a lot of police there and uh, I thought this was very, very funny and I burst out laughing. And they arrested me for making them look stupid. And uh, I was I was detained for three hours and then kicked out unceremoniously from the police station. That's true. Please tell me, so the radio show is the lie? Nope, that's true as well. Mark. Oh. The lie, and this is your comment on, uh, on European waste, <laughs> the numbers are all there for you. In fact, my effective day rate for that, if you consider 600 quid for 30 seconds, my effective day rate was £576,000. Okay, I'm not letting that through because <laughs> you've just hung me out to dry on a question of maths. Do you know what? You're absolutely right. It's a real technicality, and I'm starting. To... I didn't feel guilty when I wrote those, right? I did not feel guilty when, I... and now I do. Now I feel like the bad guy. But come on, half they a million, are all half a true, <laughs> except for the maths. for the numbers. You're right. I'm so sorry. Look, I'm so sorry. You're right. I'm feeling extremely guilty. Okay, now, actually, before I ask you my usual last question, it was something I meant to ask, and that was the fact that you said how much you hated working from home. So what did you do about that? Oh, yes. So this is really interesting. The reason I think it is interesting is because I know that this is not everyone, all right? There are loads of people who like working from home, and if that's you, fabulous. And you know what? If you've got kids and all that sort of thing, I totally understand why you'd want to work from home. It's just not me. I hated every second of it. I went stir-crazy in about, you know, in a matter of seven days. I'm like, God. So I got myself an office and, I, and even to, to this day, I don't pay much for my office. I, yeah, I, it's a lovely sort of creative space. I like hanging around with other people. You'd never have guessed from this conversation. I really like hanging out with other people. But also, I like hanging out with my clients. So I was having a conversation in a chat room quite recently with a bunch of other journalists and, you know, and they were saying, oh, should I charge more for being on site with my clients? And I'm like, are you freaking mental? Being on site with your clients is the easiest way to get more business, to understand their problems, to ingratiate and ingrain yourselves in their culture, to understand their needs. 
now rather than when they articulate them later on, right? It is the best sales tool you can ever have is to be doing work with your clients. So no, of course, you shouldn't blooming charge more for getting out of bed and getting on a train and getting in with your clients. It's the best sales tool you're ever going to have. So I love being with my clients. I love, I don't like working from home because I do go stir crazy and that's me, but it's also the opportunity to close the front door and have a kind of work life and then and then have a home life again in the evenings. But it's also, there is no better way of improving your business than actually getting to hang out with your clients. That's a wonderful thing to be able to do. Nice. Yeah. Now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, mm. what would that be? Oh, I wasn't looking forward to this one. I had a, I, you know, there are 20 sort of answers to this, I suppose. I thought, right, here's, here's the one that I think is most useful. And it is most freelancers don't consider themselves to be salespeople. I don't consider myself to be a salesperson. And again, why? Well, because we don't become freelancers to sell. We become freelancers to do, to do the thing that we're great at doing, right? So that's all groovy. On the basis that I'm not a great salesperson and on the basis that um, the advice I want to give my younger self would be around selling, it is this. And I have done this and I'm not ashamed to admit that I've done this and it took me time and I know I'm speaking, I'm preaching to the choir that there'll be people listening to this who go, oh yeah, that's me as well. Take your day rate, whatever it is, stand in front of a mirror and practice saying, I am X pounds a day, right? Not I'm X pounds a day, but you can have me for half that if you let me do X, Y, Z, or if it da ba da ba da ba da ba da right? Because I spent so much of my time doing that. It's like, well, this is my rate. And before anyone's complained, you're already dropping your prices, right? It's something we all do because we want our clients to be happy. We want to look after them, right? So literally, and I have done this, stand in front of the mirror and say, it's X pounds a day. And then have that silence. And it's a painful silence because you want to fill it with i can offer you a better deal never ever do that because you're you're worth it for crying out loud so practicing actually articulating what you cost and then ideally for a follow-up a couple of reasons why you're worth it that's really useful it's something that everyone finds really really hard nice nick thank you so much if you want to find out what nick is up to you can go follow him uh, well not follow him on social he just said he was terrible at it useless how he's terrible at it yeah but you can certainly go and check out his website and his work because there will be links as there are for all of our guests at beingfreelance.com while you're there make sure you click through and join the community of other um freelancers we'll see you in there and there's videos and of course what 170 or more other episodes for you to check out as well if you can do me a favor one would be to review this wherever you get your podcast but more importantly to share it with other freelancers be it online or in person that would be awesome uh, but for now nick thank you so much and all the best being freelance thank you absolutely a giggle and a joy to meet you fabulously virtually brilliant cheers cheers